0: My, it's already been a great morning together, hasn't it been? Yes. Really, really good. So glad to see you here today. It is exciting to be together always. And today I'm excited about a new series that we're introducing today called Center Stage. And uh, we'll just jump right into it. Before I jump into it, the byline is, who's on the center stage of your life? You know, the the world tells us precisely who should be on center stage of our lives, and the world is wrong. We should not be on center stage of our lives. That's the quickest way to get lost in in a world of selfishness and self-centeredness, and so this is a series that's bigger than just that concept. I'm really excited to introduce it to you, but we're going to start with kind of a problem that all churches are scrambling to solve these days and uh, the best way to introduce it is with a graphic that comes from the Barna Research Group. So on the screen is a little graphic that says here's what's happening in 2011 and the trend is completely going in the wrong direction. 2019 there's an increase in church dropouts. A study is done, a poll all across America of those who are Ages 18 through 29, who were very solidly in the church, in, in a Christian in their expression and in their confession and in their families and going to church, but then somewhere after age 18 to 29, they're dropping out. And two thirds of those who are professing Christ as children and youth are now dropping out in this time frame. It's alarming. Um, that That is taking place, and the trend is still going in the wrong direction, so churches all across America are scrambling to figure out how do we deal with this. Families all across America are trying to figure out how do we minister to our child that loved Christ and now is not there, and what do we do about that? I think this uh, series will help um, in that particular problem. I want to begin now with a conversation of a 20-year-old who was still uh, faithful to church, still faithfully uh, expressing her uh, faith in Jesus Christ, but this is a a real conversation, an interview between a pastor and her, and I want us to just kind of look at this, maybe this sheds some light on this subject. What does it mean to be a Christian, the pastor asked. Well, it means that you ask Jesus into your heart. Yes, all right, but what does that mean? Well, it means that you ask Jesus to forgive you. Okay, but what do you ask him to forgive you for? Uh, Bad things? I I guess you ask him to forgive you for bad things. the, The sins you do. Like what? There was silence. And she looked like a deer caught in the headlights. Then the pastor rephrases. Why would... Jesus, forgive you. She fidgeted. Um, Because you ask him? What do you think God wants you to know? Now she beams and starts to smile because she thinks she's got this one. He wants me to know that I should love myself and that there's nothing I can't do if I think I can. And what does God want from you? He wants me to do good stuff, you know, be nice to others, don't hang around with bad people. And so we're going to stop this conversation right here, and already we should feel a little uncomfortable with her answers. Um, Now, I don't know if she's just not able to articulate her faith, because that's not kind of her makeup, easily articulating things, or if she's missing it. And trying to describe what she thinks she has, but it isn't it. But what I do want us to do is describe her, or we just heard her description. I want us to compare it with Paul's description of his faith. Galatians 2.20 reads this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now his description of what it means to be a Christian sounds completely different to me than the description of what it means to be a Christian that the 20-year-old girl described. I think it is as different as the kernel of truth compared with the dead husk. It's that different. And if all we have is the dead husk to describe, no wonder we're dropping out at a two thirds rate. Let's dig in just a little bit more. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. What would that 20 year old girl make of this statement? What do you make of this statement? But Christ lives in me. What would that 20 year old girl make of this statement? What do you make of this statement? Now, I'm about to share with you what I think is really a funny quote. It's a witty statement from Winston Churchill. And before I share it with you, I just want to say, I hope this witty statement is not true about you. Here's the witty statement. Occasionally, he stumbled over the truth, but hastily picked himself up and hurried on as if nothing happened. Now, we just read a stumbling truth that many people stumble over, Paul's description of what it means to be a Christian, Paul's description of what the gospel is all about. The question is, as we stumbled over those phrases, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we stumble over what does that mean? What does that feel like? What does that look like? Do we quickly get up and get over it? Or do we do something about, is that my experience? Do I know how to live this experience? I think that is a profound question that many believers are holding on to the husk of their faith in a few words that they've been given and a few words that they can articulate and they're missing the reality and their experience and they're not able to cope with the life and the difficulties that come our way. So, I could give you a quick explanation of Galatians 2.20 and I think it would serve you not so well. I want to do something better than that. I want to give you a serious challenge. And I know that some of you will take me up on it. Let's make Galatians 2.20 a verse that we memorize in this series. This series is three weeks long. And let's dig in and try to figure out what is Paul describing so that we can get a hold of the reality instead of the husk of truth that is this thing we believe in. Because what he describes is more than a propositional truth. What he describes is a way of life, a completely different experience that is like from being dead in your old life and crucified with Christ and raising from the dead and having a completely different experience where Christ is now living in you and you live by faith in this reality. What does that look like? So, without explaining it, I'm gonna point you in some helps on the backside of the paper outline or on the bottom of the digital outline on version events, I have given you some questions to consider by yourself or in your small group to begin to dig into Galatians 2.20 and I want you to then begin to work on memorizing it because what we're doing when we memorize is we start meditating on the truth to the degree that that truth can become a way of thinking, that God's thinking becomes our thinking and it eliminates false thinking and begin to experience how how truth can set you free. And I don't think that me explaining it, it'll just put a stumbling block that you quickly get over and you get up like you never heard it. That was good, but you don't experience it. And you have to dig in and allow it to transform you if you want to experience this truth. Who is on the center stage of your life? The world says you are. The true gospel teaches us a better way. Here's the three topics that we're going to get into in this series. Week one, Jesus is greater than Moses. Week two, Jesus is greater than David. Week three, Jesus is greater than expected. And so we're going to get into this large vast scoping look at Jesus being greater in three different looks but we're every week we're going to start with Galatians 2:20 so that we make sure it's rooted down to how we're living is he center stage and so there's my series challenge and I want you to be challenged and take this on so point number 1 a prototype is a smaller simplified model of the reality A prototype is a smaller, simplified model of the reality. I just want to go with that thought a little bit uh, deeper, so here's uh, my words. God set the stage throughout history with promises, prophecies, and prototypes to demonstrate that the reality was no human invention. Let that sink in a little bit. God didn't just blam, put... Jesus on the surface of the planet and introduce his son in a vacuum. He took great pains with promises, prophecies and prototypes so that you can know that none of this was human invention. It took place in strategized schemes over the course of all of history where he was going to introduce Jesus as center stage, main character, everything else is prototype. Model. Not the real deal. Here's The real deal okay this is what we're after for this series so we're going to begin with Deuteronomy 18 18 where we read I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth he will tell them everything I command him it was God himself that told Moses this that like you're a prophet and like I'm using you I'm going to raise up a prophet like you And the rabbis, all from that point forward, understood this to be a promise about the coming Messiah as more and more promises begin to roll out in preparation for the arrival of the Messiah, who will be the anointed king savior deliverer, and yet what we'll discover by week three is he's bigger than expected, okay? But we're now going to demonstrate that he's greater than Moses, but... At least we're going to start here, that he's someone like that prototype. But the prototype is smaller and simpler. There's a greater reality. So the apostles took notice and described how Jesus was the fulfillment of this promise, prophecy and prototype. Both, I'm going to go through this fast, no way you're going to write it down, but just let it settle in. Both Moses and Jesus were liberators, lawgivers, and shepherds. Both Moses and Jesus were rescued as infants in Egypt, tested in the wilderness, and suffered for the nation. Both Moses and Jesus proclaimed laws of God's kingdom from a mountain. Moses from Mount Sinai in the Exodus, and Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Moses was the prototype. Jesus is the reality. Okay, And that is a really small summary of all of the amazing connectivity between the prototype and the reality. Point number two, the law and the prophets are no longer center stage. I'm saying something even bigger than what I just said. The law and the prophets are no longer center stage. I could take a lot of different angles on this to show this to you, but we're going to look at an episode that took place in Jesus' life when he glowed with glory on a mountaintop like Moses did, but way bigger than that because Moses glowed a reflective glory. This was way brighter and came from a source. Okay, Let's take a look in Luke 9, 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a, onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Now, Just in case you don't know the biblical scheme of things, Moses, like 1,500 years before Jesus, already dead, gone to heaven, in in heaven now, uh, God lets him revisit earth and spend time with Jesus on this mountain. Elijah, 700 years or so, I'm roughing that. Could be old age memory loss, but um, he's been gone a long time too. So these two characters are showing up on the mountain with Jesus, okay? So this is an amazing thing. And then they're talking about something. So two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. I've mentioned this before when we did the study at Luke. The word in Greek, departure there, is exodus. About his exodus. But is it talking about his death? Because that's an odd way of talking about his death. It's an unusual way of talking about his death. Or is it talking about his death bringing about the new exodus? which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So his death is about to be brought to fulfillment in Jerusalem. This is the way Luke is describing it. Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke puts this insert, he did not know what he was saying. (laughs) Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Just a couple of observations I want to make here so that we can see what's going on. First of all, I've already tipped you off. Jesus is glowing, not Moses. Moses glowed in the past with a little tiny glory, a little candle compared to, right? Right? And here Jesus is with this brilliant, have to squint because it's too bright for you light uh, that he's transfigured by. Peter, not knowing what to say, says, hey, we we should build three shelters as if to say, wow, Jesus, like, you're like on par with the big guys, (laughs) Moses and Elijah, which God himself has to go, No. I must interrupt you there. Moses and Elijah are not even on par with Jesus, not even close. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And just to make sure they're listening to him, Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is on center stage and Jesus alone stands there. The point here is the prototypes are fulfilled in Jesus. Peter was mistaken. The prophets are no longer center stage. Jesus is. In fact, the law and the prophets, Moses being the one that they always refer to the law as the law of Moses, but it's really laws of God given through Moses, the great prophet. These monumental figures are now brought down to size. And this is new thinking for a Jewish mind. The law and the prophets, Elijah being the representative prophets, is brought down to size also. No, it's now Jesus, the center of all faith. Point number three. Passover was a prototype. Passover was a prototype. Now, when I say that, we already said the law is a prototype. The prophets were a prototype. Passover is a prototype. The whole old covenant system will discover as a prototype. And we're gonna discover that the whole Exodus is a prototype. Everything is at the center of history in Jesus who's on center stage. That's the point. And when you read the Bible, you understand that the old covenant sets us up for center stage. And that's what it's all about. So, Passover was the prototype. We get this from Jesus himself. Luke 22, 15 through 19. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, just to remind you, Passover was the commemorative memorial meal, remembering the Exodus, which took place 1,500 years before Jesus. This grand Exodus out of slavery when they were become a nation And now they're the people of God and they're remembering this through the Passover meal, remembering the last plague, which was the kicker that caused Pharaoh to finally say, get out of here. And they were set free. And of course, the Passover of the death angel passes over only the houses where the blood of the lamb is applied to the doors. So, The deaf angel brought judgment to every household except for where the blood of the lamb is applied. And now Jesus takes this Passover meal. After taking the cup from the Passover meal, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread out of the Passover meal Gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this memorial meal that always pointed backward to Exodus, Jesus says, now do this meal in remembrance of me. This is a pretty big claim. That prototype is over. Main character is here. It's already been prophesied by John the baptizer who was a prophet that Jesus is, is greater than all the prophets before him, but even John is less than, the least of those in the kingdom of heaven that come after John. And John said in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, chapter one, verse 29, that's the apostle John writing about the baptizer John. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the reality which the Passover lamb was only a prototype pointing to the reality that could set us free. And Jesus is greater than the Exodus. Jesus is greater than the law itself. This is what the preaching sounded like all through Acts. I'm picking a representative verse here, Acts 13, 39. Through him, talking about Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. All Jews were feeling like they are special because they have the old covenant. They have the law of Moses. That's why they are special and set apart and a nation that's holy. And then Paul just calls it like it is. You aren't able to justify yourself before God through the law. You and I know better. We are all lawbreakers. It's through Jesus that we are set in a right relationship with God and peace is made with God. All of that previous was prototype. Now it's been fulfilled in Jesus who stands on center stage of history. But is he on center stage of your life? Point number four, trade it all in for Jesus. Continuing out of Luke 22, this is Jesus. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Not the blood of the lamb. Not the blood of the sacrificial system. Not anything with the whole temple system. This is the cup of the New covenant, which I'm establishing because I'm establishing it tomorrow. He doesn't get into the details. When I will be crucified and three days later and will conquer death and set you free and make you into a people where now you can have a personal relationship that's merged into a union like never before where God dwells within you, writing the laws within you, where he is dwelling in you. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. To get a hold of that truth, Jesus goes to the cross. traded all in for Jesus. Jesus replaced the entire sacrificial system the sacrificial temple system with himself once and for all. So summarizing, Moses was the prototype, Jesus was the reality. The law and the prophets are no longer center stage. Jesus is greater than the Exodus and even the law itself. Traded all in for Jesus. How was it even possible that countless Jews, whole crowds of Jews, were convinced that they should trade it all in for Jesus, the Christian movement exploded in Jerusalem and continued beyond. How is it possible these Jews who raised in their faith trade it all in for this new truth? There's only one possible way this could have happened. But it comes in two parts. God authenticated all of the power and miracles and authority of Jesus in reality, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, where this person, this prophet, is authenticated with power. And secondly, he vindicates him in every claim when he raises him from the dead. The whole thing explodes into growth because everybody is convinced by the Apostolic witnesses who saw him resurrected, this is true. If this is true, this is reality. Everything up to this point was anticipatory. Jesus is the center of all history and he could be the center of your story too. But for this to happen, you must see him for who he is and gladly give him the center stage of your life. You are Lord. You authored my life. You can author my story. It's all yours, Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your victorious accomplishment. Lord, we ask you to help us to live in the reality of this new covenant, a union with you made possible by the work of Jesus, that we don't have to try to obey, to be pleasing unto you, to be somehow acceptable, that we can never do it that way, that you made it possible to have union with you through your accomplished work on the cross our sins washed clean by your righteousness, your atoning sacrifice, and then our lives resurrected with power by your Spirit entering into our lives and making us new. May our experience be real. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Lord, it's all about you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, we've got a prayer team in the alcove that's lit up to the left of the stage. Be going up there and ask for prayer, whatever it is that you need. Thank you for coming today. Hope to see you next week for the next episode of Center Stage.